Hello, and welcome to Particular, the podcast that talks about particular topics and ideas in not a particular way. My name is Anastasia Verdnikova. When you think of the UK, what is the first sport that comes to mind? For me, it's rugby. That's why I decided to start playing it for a while, though. And uh, during that time, I made some good friends and continued to follow their journey. They have now created an inclusive rugby club called Finsbury Park Panthers, which welcomes trans and non-binary players. The club was founded in response to a new rule implemented by the rugby union in the UK. It continues to advocate for an inclusive and safe space for all players in the league. And here are some members of the team to tell about that in more detail. Okay, hello, hello, and um, I'm really glad that you uh, decided to join my podcast, and um, I'm very proud to say that I uh, know you guys uh, beforehand, so you like, uh, you were the first uh, sport club I ever joined in the UK when moving here, so I was really interested in joining rugby, but um, work got in the way, so unfortunately I'm not playing rugby anymore, but it doesn't mean I'm not interested in it. So I decided to invite you, and as I understand correctly, now you are called Finsbury Park Panthers, is that right? Yes, absolutely. That sounds really cool. Yeah, Panthers, like it's a really cool animal, I would say. So so maybe we can start, uh, maybe each of you can tell, how did you decide to start playing rugby and like what drew you to the sport? So who wants to go first? Um, yeah, no, I'm happy to go first. So yeah, I'm Rachel. And so my background with rugby, um, it's been going on since I was a kid. Uh, I grew up in Hong Kong by way of background. And every year I used to watch the, the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens with my family. Um, it was always a big event and I, I just loved watching it. Um, and the good thing was that uh, they had men's, women's and kids rugby on show. And so it's something I've always wanted to try and get into, but uh, I wasn't able to do so at school for various reasons. But there were uh, girls' rugby teams, so it was already an established practice. Um, and then I started playing when I was at university in in the States. Um, there were a few students from Hong Kong who wanted to set up a women's rugby team. And as it turns out, it's really easy to convince very stressed out students that they have an opportunity to relieve some stress, hit things legally, and also make lots of friends. <laughs> so it, it was an absolute no-brainer to sign up for, for that. And I've been playing ever since, really, first with um, my team in LA doing undergrad, then a one-year stint at UCL when I was doing my master's. Um, and soon after that, a friend from UCL decided she would set up um, a team up in Haringey, and that was, the, that was the Rhinos. So I agreed to come along, and I think I was player number two at the time. And for the last 10, 11 years, I've just been sort of playing at the grassroots community level. Um, I've always intended to play for fun. Um, uh, and I've just found a, a really good way to sort of join and build a community, especially in London, which is quite a transient city by nature. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And uh, the the thing about releasing stress, I can confirm, it does really release stress. And for me, like being uh, very new to that kind of sport, I loved that from the very beginning. So yeah, that's true. And um, who wants to go next? I don't mind. Um, so I first started playing rugby. I tried out for, I was playing with a couple of sports teams. In all honesty, I first started playing rugby when I lived back in Cambridge. So we're talking over eight years ago now. Um, because a girl I was dating at the time played rugby and it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> we stopped dating, but I loved the rugby side of things so I carried it on um then when I moved to London I moved to Haringey that was the first place I lived in London and within less than a few weeks of moving to London I was introduced to a few people um from the Rhinos uh one of them being Bex one of our sort of oldest longest standing players there alongside Rach 
And um, she sold it to us as a real social thing above all else, but also along the lines of like, you can genuinely make friends for life. You can get a little bit fitter than you are and maintain that fitness. You can learn a little bit of discipline and you can also learn quite a lot about yourself. Um, and it all just seemed like really appealing things to me. So I did it. I went along um, and I absolutely fell in love from the very first training session and yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, my playing career, I say career very lightly, but my playing career was cut quite short after three, possibly four years um, when I had a, a bit of an accident whilst playing, um, a freak accident by all accounts, um, and I snapped my leg quite badly. So I had to hang up my proverbial boots and from then on decided, well, I, I kind of love the community too much to walk away from it. Um, so yeah, decided to do my coaching qualifications. And from then on, that was what I did. I was a coach. Um, and yeah, now we've moved over to Start Panthers and here we are. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, Kat, what's what's up with you? How did you start rugby? Um, I stopped playing rugby when I was six or seven. So a child, um, I grew up watching my dad play rugby every weekend and would go and watch it and loved it and then played it as a child with um, boys. It was mixed. And then um, stopped after a while. And when I went to university, I started again because I wanted to um, date women. And I thought, there's going to be loads of lesbians in a rugby team. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... Um, and then after dating quite a few of the women decided I'd leave and then stopped playing um, until I came to St Albans, played for St Albans for a couple of years and then joined like purely to meet people in the local area because it was like an area I didn't really know. And then when I moved to central London, um, joined Rhinos and now at the Panthers. So yeah, for quite a while. That's exciting. And um with Panther. So I wanted to ask you to tell like the reason behind why did you decide to create like a new club, as I understand, with full inclusivity, because there are some complications with the rugby union, if I understand correctly, because before that you played in uh, Rhinos and uh, I also like played a little bit with you. And um, what event made you like change the club, create a completely new club and um, like what like what restrictions were imposed by rugby union and maybe you like any one of you can tell a bit more about that yeah I mean I think in all honesty the decision came after you know you, you've just touched on it the archaic sort of whether you agree with them or not <laughs> I'll call it archaic rules from the RFU came in about trans players um there was suddenly a lot more media around trans players in sport but specifically in women's rugby um and that touched a nerve with a lot of the people in the team that we were playing for at the time because we all do like to see ourselves as allies you know and for some people within being within that community or being within a trans community or an lgbtq plus community it's a really important thing of who they are and for something to be so non-inclusive of them just didn't feel right in any way shape or form um we decided that we wanted to carry on playing rugby the way that we were playing rugby. And that was with open arms to everybody. And the club that we were at, unfortunately, didn't support that in the same way. So we decided, cool, how can we make it happen? And what seemed to be like the most obvious answer was, let's start a new club. So that's what we did. Um, we actually approached a local club that have been around for a good 10 plus years now. Um, the chair of that club who started that club so many years ago is a gentleman called Sean. Um, and I actually did a little bit with him at the RFU Leadership Academy. So we knew each other by name, um, put the call in and said, listen, we'd like to have a conversation about a new team, but specifically a women's and non-binary team. Um, it's something that's really important to us. He heard us out and took it to committee and they said, absolutely, like it's something that we really want to support a safe and inclusive space. And within the very first training session, it was so, so, so clear why we'd done it. People turned up to the session and at the end of the session were saying, I felt really safe today, which is something that they maybe didn't feel before and didn't feel safe enough to say that they didn't feel it before. So straight away, we knew we were onto something here that was so needed 
um, and hopefully will carry on to be in the way that it is. And are there like any uh, complications? Because um, as I understand, uh, are you allowed to play on the um, on the league level now, even if you have um, trans people playing in your team? Or is it like very hard to apply to the league level? We can play in a league. We are allowed to play in a league mm. as a team. Um, but if we have trans players, that and the way that the RFU uh, is silly, the way that the RFU will label somebody a trans player um is if they are and you need to get this the right way around is by their if they're playing not playing at their sex if you are playing for a team that's not aligned to the sex you were assigned at birth perfect okay that's a much better way of watching it um because <laughs> that's how it is but yeah no that that's spot on um so we can still as a team Finsley Park Panthers can play in a league as as you know glass ceiling as high up as we want to go and um, it's just the actual players that are involved in playing those matches are now somewhat restricted um so when it comes to competitive games we are having to unfortunately for the for the foreseeable abide by these rules and do you like you you do have uh, trans uh, players on your team right now and uh, how like Maybe you can tell um, their stories, like maybe they don't want like any publicity, I mean, like not um, uh, say names, but like how do they um, try to maybe change the system or maybe like you as a club trying to change the system and let them play on the league level? Because as I understand for them, it's really like really sad because you train and you want to see the result of your training, you want to participate in the games. So is there anything your club or players uh, are doing to change that? I don't think there's anything that we can do. I mean, I, I probably on this call the only non-binary person and not, not the only um, non-binary person in the team. I don't think there's anything that we can do, unfortunately, to change um, the archaic backwards England rugby rules on trans players. We've definitely played against trans women before who now have completely had to stop. I think the difficult thing always felt and part of the reason that we moved to the Panthers was because... Um, it felt like I I hate and Vicky and Rach know being called saying that I play for women's rugby because I don't play for women's rugby. I play for non-men's rugby because I don't identify as a woman. I identify as non-binary. And I think that democracy and activism comes in many different ways. And people often feel like you have to go out and be protesting and really changing it when actually I think it comes in small ways. And what we're doing with community rugby, especially in the local area, is really like building a platform to be able to talk about some of these issues. We have a great relationship with the men's team and we are able to talk about trans issues, about LGBT rights, and we're able to bring that into the community. I mean, even like international women's that's happening next week we're getting the guys involved in that and I think people often do feel activism as this big thing when it's small steps and the fact that we're able to have Instagram we're able to have social media we're able to be on this podcast and talk about our lived experiences as trans non-binary and queer people is an act of activism and in its act of like speaking your true self which is important and I think if everyone did that and if different rugby clubs did that it would slowly change the rules absolutely and Kat, sure. Kat's hit on a really good point there that like we have played against players against trans players historically before this has happened and I actually think since as well um and it's <laughs> we're not going to ask every single player that comes through our doors to go through a biological assessment to tell us exactly what the RFU wants us to know because that, that that's just a ridiculous suggestion and I think that players being able to come to a space that they don't feel the need to tell us exactly what the RFU is asking for this information but they just know that they're playing in a safe inclusive space is so so important um and like I say the men's team have been super welcoming I think the men's team have actually had a trans player turn up to play or to a couple of training sessions in the summer with them as well um so it it works on both teams you know it, it's spreading the word that inclusivity is is a part of the entire club not just one aspect of the team 
And do you have any, like, do you know about any clubs that have the same uh, initiative that you do? Or are you like the, <laughs> the the first club like in London that is trying to create this uh, like very inclusive space uh, for trans people and tra- like trans players and non-binary players? I think there are other clubs that are also trying to advertise as um, community safe spaces. Um, so very big with the LGBTQ plus sort of welcoming space. Um, I know of a particular team that have also sort of had a trans player come to training um, and are happy to sort of involve that player as much or as little as they want to be involved within the rules. And I think it's it's a really like, you, yes, I know can, some people can say sort of it's a grey area, it's really not. If you have just conversations and talk about these things, it doesn't really need to be a grey area as far as I'm concerned. And that's putting my coach hat on. That's putting my hat of responsibility on where when I got my coach's licence, I had to agree and still do in every session that we hold to uphold sort of the values of rugby and uphold sort of that I'm going to make sure that I'm looking after my players in every way, shape and form. And the concerns that people have around trans players just... <laughs> to me as a coach don't make sense there's a like there's a big discussion with uh, like elite sports for example like on the world uh, um, level or like olympic level like uh, what rules to imply to trans people and like how uh, should they participate so i'm very interested to hear your thoughts on that like how how is that um how can like it's not how we can like solve it but how can we uh finish that discussion like have no more discussion about it just let people compete on the level they want to i honestly like i feel so strongly about this because it really winds me up especially when it comes to because i feel like the people who have opinions on this are not trans people and not women. When we were talking about the trans issue in rugby, the people who are most vocal, especially at Rhinos, were people who were not playing for the non-men's team. And it doesn't impact them, number one, because what we saw overwhelmingly in rugby across England was non-men's team standing up saying, this is backwards, we want to play with these people, they are part of our community. And it was everyone else saying, yeah, but like they don't have the same blah, blah, blah. And it was guys who were saying it who literally just don't get on a pitch with us. Number one. Number two, we're not playing for the Olympics. I mean, everyone's <laughs> like, we play for a community sport. Like, let people play. It's that simple. This idea that somehow there's going to be a competitive advantage when you're in League Nine of a local like sports club, I think is just wild. I mean, it really is. Let's just let people play and have access to sports. Like, trans people disproportionately do not have access to sports they do not have access to healthcare, and we should be giving them the ability and the right to be able to do things that mentally make them feel good and that allow them to integrate into the community and I think it's just that simple like it's sport we're talking about sport just let trans people play it's not the end of the world like it's just not the end of the world if you look at the olympics There's not that many trans people there. It's not. It's just not accessible for trans people anyway because trans people are some of the most like disproportionately and marginalized communities in the world. I'll get off my high no, horse now. But I feel like get back on your high horse, Kat. I completely agree. And yeah. If you look at the actual these, these numbers, things, like these things need to be said. Um, and the other thing that sort of came to light during the debate last year was that. A lot of the arguments um, around against, I'll say, including trans people in rugby, was for was for safety concerns. Um, completely ignoring the fact that a lot of us had played with and against trans women and had not any issue with safety considerations. So, how can you make that kind of argument? Where you're not even listening to the people that it's supposed to impact. It was ridiculous. Uh, and if you look at the again, I was going to say, look at the numbers. So. Just before this trans ruling came in, the actual statistics at, at that time, and they might be different or sort of slightly weighed now, but at the time were, I think there was 12 um, trans assigned male at birth players um, within our, with clubs in the RFU across the UK. So that's only 12 people across the how many people play community rugby, okay? And those people all had to go through a gruelling process um, to get a written permission like you get in 
you know, a permission slip for holiday, getting a written permission slip to say that they could play community rugby. And it just, it baffles me and begs belief that, like you say, that it's, it, the decisions are made by the people that this actually really doesn't affect and that it really doesn't have the impact on. And it's, yeah, get on your high horse cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's devastating. And I'm, I'm uh, very interested uh, to know more. Like, what do, what do you know about how it happens on the, for example, like school level? So when people are uh, underage and uh, they uh, come out like as a trans person or non-binary. So uh, are they also... Um, implicated by this decision of the RFU so, if they're playing at our level at adult and I say that in brackets at adult level senior level rugby we um like I say we so we incorporate trans players into our training sessions because for me again as a coach there is no difference in having um a touch training session with an entire team trans players or not as it is having a training session where we join in with the men's team, which we often do. So there's no difference there. Um, whereas in schools, that choice, that decision is entirely taken away from people that are underage and they're actually excluded from sport. So if a, if a child or a minor um, comes out as trans, then they're not then allowed to play in that sport or they are forced to play in their assigned at birth team. And Schools will sometimes punish students if they don't join in with physical activity lessons because they don't feel comfortable for that reason. If you haven't got a get out letter from your mum or from your doctor, then tough. You have to take part and you get in trouble for not taking part, even though you don't feel safe. So in my opinion, I think it's actually worse for minors. Yeah, that's really grueling. Yeah. And um, um, so you as a club, uh, you only welcome uh, like um adults to play so you don't have any like children that could come and play and just to train with you to feel like in a safe space because as you said earlier like it's really hard for them I think that just a different experience on that having because I played kids rugby is that you I played mixed I only played mixed rugby actually when I was younger I didn't play girls rugby because it is all mixed um because you can't tackle and there are restrictions on what you can do um I think you can play when I was younger, it was under 14, you could play mixed rugby. I think the issue goes when you're between 14 and 17. I think it's Um, changed now with age grade rugby is what they've brought in, but you're spot on. That's how it used to be. I still think though from a young age and because I have niece and nephew, I'm not, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying that I think the younger you are, you can play mixed. The issue is like when you're an older teenager, I think that's the challenge. Um, I also think, and Vicky, you'll know more about this. If you're 16, there are certain limitations on what you can do anyway. That means they wouldn't be able to play with us unless we would have to not be able to do like scrums and um, things, right? So for for women's rugby, because again, the RFU will only categorise men's rugby and women's rugby and junior rugby. Um, in women's rugby, it's 17 and up. You can train with the ladies team. Um and I don't think you can play front row until you're 18 um, and you're not allowed to play competitively contact unless you have permission from the RFU if you're 17. Is that right, Rach? You're well up on the rules. I should be. Um, yes, that is my uh, interpretation of that. I don't think it's changed in the last couple of years. So there is a, a window of opportunity for uh, kids in their late teens to train if they want a, a safe community space, um, but there are limitations on the actual playing front. I feel like though someone approached us and said that they wanted to start playing rugby and they were 16 or 15 and they felt comfortable with ours. We probably invite, we didn't, I think we'd invite them to train and we'd just be, we'd have to figure out how to do it legally, right? I don't think we'd ever, I mean, if there was a 10 year old, we wouldn't, but if it was someone who was on the crisp, I'd like to think that we would try and find ways. Or even if it was like in the warrior camps, yeah, we try and find ways to include them. Yeah. To train it. We used to, so back in the day, back at um, Rhinos before all of this was sort of a, an argument. I, I remember we had players from the juniors and there was a gap from the juniors team when they got to 15 or 14 
there was any gap between then and when they could play with the ladies. So our local rugby officer gave us the permission, if we were doing it within strict sort of guidelines, that they could come and do fitness training with us. Um, two of our longest standing players back at Rhinos um, were joined from when they were 15. They used to come along and train. They'd run water at games. Um, they'd feel part of the community and learn all about the sport and the discipline that goes with it before then being able to put on a jersey and actually take part competitively. Yeah, 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 yeah I understand that. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Like, I I wish, uh, like, I, I had something like that uh, when I was growing up. But, yeah, that's a completely, <laughs> like, uh, another story, like, because in Russia <laughs> it's, like, nothing compared to the UK. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, I wanted to go back a little bit and ask uh each uh, of you like what kind of prejudices you had to fight with when you started playing rugby and like what were people saying around like what you as um like uh, however you identify yourself playing no men's uh rugby uh what kind of prejudice prejudices you had to fight with <clears throat> well, maybe i could go first <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just if you didn't know already, I'm I'm not part of the LGBTQ community, so I can't really speak on that front. What I could maybe give you is my is sort of my experience growing up in a country where um, there is a culture around um, health and body image, and in particular the the ideal of slimness. Uh, I mean, just put bluntly, I, I grew up in East Asia. Um, most people are quite slim and petite. Um, and by way of comparison, I wear uh, extra, extra large back in Hong Kong. Whereas here, I'm pretty much middle of the road. And that was quite difficult because uh, although I, I, have, I, I have pretty healthy, I think, or I like to think so. I still struggle a little bit with body image, realizing that, you know, I don't fit the mold. Um, and even though my parents tried to be supportive and telling me as long as you're healthy, that's not a problem. It is still quite hard when you realize that your peers look very different from you and there's not a lot you can do about it. Uh, the one thing that rugby gave me was the mindset that it wasn't about how my body looked, it's what my body could do. Um, and I played the front row. I, I'm in the center of scrum, I play hooker, um, and everything about my body enables me to perform that role to the, to the best of my ability, um, and it's such a confidence booster. Yeah, massively, and sort of, I chuckled there when you said you're relatively fit. This is coming from the woman that, on the morning of her wedding day, had to go and do a round of squats before she would get dressed. So yeah, I'd say you're pretty fit, Rachel. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like I let's say I am a part of the LGBTQ plus community and to be honest I, I think I faced two prejudices when I first started playing rugby number one was that everybody had an opinion on it in that oh you must you must be a lesbian you must be gay for playing rugby and because I am it was kind of a head down hands in pockets I can't really you know can't argue it but why is that why is that the assumption and two was always that women's rugby will never quite be men's rugby, which was just infuriating because <laughs> I I also, I'm not small at all by any means. Like I played forwards. Um, I was a hooker for a little bit and then I was a flanker for a bit. And if you go by the RFU standard of what counts as a woman, they give, or they did at one point, give a certain height and weight that would class as like safe, um, safe playing statistics I'm not in those oh, categories. Wow. So am I a dangerous player? <laughs> I've been taken down. In fact, the girl that shattered my leg was a slither of my size, you know? So, so it's not, it used to really infuriate me that there was so much about sort of women will never quite play to the same level as men. But look at how many sort of, look at how many accolades like the England women's rugby team have compared to England men's rugby team have. You know, that says enough that it is a real sport and it can absolutely be at the same level of competition in some places more. Like, I, yeah, that's my point. 
Yeah, I don't know if I have the same stereotypes. I think it was just more, especially at university when I told my friends, especially who are guys that I that I was doing rugby again, that they're always just so surprised. I actually think it's the opposite. They, well, yeah, kind of supposed to the same um, with like how I dressed or how I was that I'd be part of it. Or they were always like very like, oh, I know your motivation for like playing rugby, aka to meet women which was kind of true so maybe they just know me better um but um yeah I think it is just more about the stereotype of the type of person that plays and having to break that which also why it's really freeing because there are people of all weights sizes shapes and backgrounds who play rugby and it's more about the community piece yeah sure and um like on the um on the higher level so for example like national teams so um is there anything done to promote uh, diversity, like equality and inclusion in any way? Like, do you know of any examples? Because for me, um, it's really interesting to explore like how people with big following uh, in sports are trying to change this system. Were there any players that were against the rules that RFU had implied on the, on the league level? Yeah. In a nutshell, there were some elite players, unfortunately, some elite women that I used to really idolise um, in sports that this conversation has brought about their opinions on not just trans and female people in sport, um, but trans and female people generally. And that is really upsetting. But there has also been support from players that really can't make sense of the ruling and are really vocal about wanting to push forward on the decision and wanting to say, right, let's go back to the ruling and let's have a look at why, which is really encouraging. Unfortunately, still not quite loud enough for me. Um, I'd like to see more of that and I will forever keep banging my drum to get that said louder. <laughs> there are quite a few people though who would put like, um, I remember at the time who played for England, he would put um, things on Instagram like rainbow um, posts and stuff like that showing they support but also I mean unfortunately the fact about women's rugby is like they're paid a fraction of what men are paid for and their rights and how much they're supported is nowhere near the same so there's a lot more of the fear I think about being dropped there's a lot more instability in their contracts and in what they can do because there's just a lot of instability in women's contracts that made it very difficult for them to feel like they could come forward and talk about some of the issues but there's also less, um, um, I think, like following in general. So, for example, there was a huge following uh, of women's football after the Euros. Like everyone was watching their games. And now like there's a huge uh, attendance, for example, for any Arsenal game. You will see like if women's team is playing, like the, the stadium is full. But what has to happen with rugby to be the same? Because I don't see a lot of signs that, oh, we're going to show um, women's sevens, uh, Six Nations uh, rugby, uh, but it's only about men. So what do you think should be done as well uh, on the league level or elite level as well to change that? I think there have been sort of some significant steps in the last few years. Um, I think for starters, having the women's Six Nations right after the men's instead of having it at the same time helps sort of split the, uh, spread out the audience so that you still get the same viewership. Um, and then thing, I think there has been a significant uptake uh, after the women's world cup. Uh, the problem, however, is making sure that is sustainable because again, once again, it comes down to funding and resources. Um, for a long time, England has been the only professional team um, of the at the premiership level, it's still quite difficult to play full time, and if you can't give um, players the support they need, there will be there will be a drop off. Um, you will not get the same pool of players and supporters that you could with the men's. Um, so it, it just boils down to money yet again. Yeah, of course, and uh, yeah, it, I think it's. Um also, uh, it depends on the audience. So for me, like when I moved here, not a lot of people were talking about rugby, even though 
for uh, I like from my perspective, I see rugby as a more national sport than football, like originally, because there's not that many countries that have rugby uh, like on that like level. What I can say from like from uh, my experience, Russian team, like women's Russian rugby team, because I knew a lot of um, women from it, like they played on the world uh, level pretty good. But there's like Australia and New Zealand and like England, which are like top three countries that would like, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen are like really popular. And here still uh, the audience would only watch the the, the, the men's uh, six nations and not really pay attention to the women's. So, yeah, I think there has to be a lot more done to, to promote the popularity of this sport. And um, my next question will be, so imagine if there was a club that also wanted to detach from the club, like as you did, from Rhinos and create their own inclusive, safe uh, space uh, as a club. What kind of challenges uh, challenges will they have to overcome and what would you advise them to do firsthand? <laughs> unfortunately, it's not, as I say, unfortunately, it's not It's not an easy thing to do. Um, that said, the payoff from doing it just from that very first training session for me made it entirely worth it and will continue to. And I think it's one of those things that, again, when we first talked about doing this and a couple of us got together and said, are we going to do this? There was an opinion that we could take the people that wanted to move across and we could basically just sort of plug and play elsewhere that that will never happen we are still not in a place where women's rugby can stand as a team on its own without the support of a men's club unfortunately and that's just because of the money that sits behind it where we are at the moment but I think if you can find a local club that shares your values and shares your reasoning um have the conversations. Don't be scared to have those conversations. Don't be threatened and don't be put back by voices or by a person or by whatever, by people telling you that it will never be done and that you're making a mistake and that you won't have support because you absolutely will. Rachel Cap, maybe you can add anything on that. I think it's also just um, get ready for, yeah, the, the pl- new players is the very difficult one. The first year is always the hardest whilst you're growing it. It's very difficult for you to go to a new team with like 25, 30 players. Also get ready for the bullshit of people like having an opinion on why you're doing it and having an opinion on whether it's the right thing to do or having to explain to so many people on that issue, which I think sometimes has been a bit more of a challenge, but it probably is the most rewarding thing and makes you closer to the people that you're playing with, which ultimately is a good thing. So it becomes more of a family and more of an active choice rather than you just like turning up. You you had to face uh, with a lot of um, like negative comments uh, because like I I don't know did you like in on social media or was it from the like RFU level or the other teams? I think don't mean it was on social media, but I'm not really that active on social media. Someone else can say, but more so with other teams or people who had an opinion. So these like men who didn't understand the trans issue, didn't understand why we had to make a stand, and. Um, thought that it was just ridiculous and it was silly or that type of thing is what I heard more even like trying to tell older people or my parents or my aunts and uncles and and like explaining it why it was so important for us to stand for this issue sometimes it's just a little bit exhausting but I think ultimately crucial at the same time I think once again it was people that weren't affected by it wasn't it (laughs) It it's people that weren't affected that had an opinion on it that just seemed to you know wanted to be affected, wanted to be involved in it. Well, you're not. So back up a little bit. But that's a hard thing to say. Yeah, sure. And uh, Rachel, do you have anything to add to that from your experience? I would say the thing I've noticed is that it's it, these things always, always take time. Um, pretty much every team I've been a part of, with maybe the exception of one, um, was a new team that started from scratch, um, and as I already mentioned, the first two, one, the first year, first two, three years, are quite difficult. Um, but it's also worth bearing in mind that it's not necessarily for you, depending on how long your playing career will be. It will be for other newer, younger players who need that space when they're ready. 
Sure, sure. And I think it's really rewarding to see that more people are coming and they feel very safe in your team. And I think that's like a great job you're doing. And I'm really interested to hear like what kind of plans do you have for the future? Like what do what 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 are next challenges you are looking forward to? <laughs> Getting players. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the hardest thing right now? Like getting more players on a team? Absolutely. I think Getting new players has always been a bit of a challenge in women's rugby for a number of reasons. I think the post in the wake of COVID, that's been even more difficult. Um, a lot of people lost out on playing time. Um, a lot of people have health conditions from the last few years as well. Uh, people leave London. People leave the country. You don't have the same pool that you would have had before to choose from. Yeah, I I think for me... Yeah, I completely agree. And it is about players, but also the where the fun starts. I've always said, I and I used to joke to Vicky that I want to be like number one sub because I just don't want to play. Like, I'm older now and I don't want to be playing for a full 80 minutes or like 90 minutes ultimately um, when you take everything into account of rugby. And it is just helpful to have people there. And I definitely do it more for the social side and more for the exercise. So the things I'm looking forward to is like playing friendlies or like once or twice a year, or we've got a tour coming up, which we're quite excited, which we're doing. The guys are just some of the joint things that we do as a team, or like even as a team going to the pub uh, or like watching live rugby, that type of thing is is really exciting. I think what makes it like less of a chore and more of a community feel. Um, but I think that is like the difference between, I don't know, age ranges or what people want to get out of it. Like for me, I just like love going to work and then being able to like shake it off on a Thursday and have a bit of a run around or like that on a, a Saturday or a Sunday as well. I'm I'm less about like, I need to be like player of the match or I need to be on like the first team or not be on the bench. I just like, I do it more for the social and like mental health, which is really important. Cause, uh, like Kat, I'm not. I've been playing for long enough where I'm not really hurting for playing time anymore, and I also don't know how much more my body is going to take. So for me, it is about um, having enough numbers to do friendlies, have social games with other teams, uh, just so people get playing time. Um, that doesn't mean we can't be competitive, and it doesn't mean that if individual play, individual players want to go further, that we just want to give them a base to do so. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, maybe you can tell a bit more, like how people that maybe are not like joining the team, but just from at the outside, how they can support your mission and your efforts to create this inclusive and safe space. Yeah, there's a few ways that they can. And I think if people if people want to be a part of what we're doing on or off the pitch, they're absolutely welcome to be. Um, obviously, coming to training, being a part of what we do at training is really useful. We have some people that come down and are no part contact for whatever reason that they choose. They don't have to disclose it. If they don't want to do contact, you don't have to do. Um, some people come down just for the fitness, but we also have people that are you know, more of a, a social side um, and maybe come along to maybe less than a handful of training sessions a year, but still want to be involved in the social side of things. And that's welcomed as well, because I think any support for what we're doing is really valuable and you know, the word will spread through that. And like Kat says, we're we're never going to be elite level playing against, I don't know, I was trying to think of a popular team, playing against like Sarri's women's, but, you know, we are going to enter a league and we are going to hopefully slowly move up that. And it would be nice to have people along for that journey. Um, the club itself is run entirely by volunteers and everything that we do, in the club relies on people paying subs so there's like a club membership people can pay whether they're a playing member or not there's like a vp sub that people can play so that's if you never even want to set foot on the pitch but you just want to do something to help and further down the line as well there'll also be opportunities for people to help so far this year you know we're not even in a league yet but we've already had a kit donated we've already had um sponsorship like logos badges donated things like that so there's definitely things that people can do just need to get in touch with us and we can work out what's the most pressing thing for the here and now yeah I think that's it there's all exactly you don't have to be a player necessarily to be part of the community and to be part of the team there are other ways that you can support us or when we do play come and watch us um 
which is which should be good but yeah loads of ways um whether it is social media wherever it is like the physio piece or um yeah there's just love to have people involved that's really good yeah i will i will insert all, all the links uh in the description and yeah just spread the word as much as i can as well because i think that's really important and yeah is uh, like uh, more we talk about it i think there's um there's a like a slight glimpse of change on the horizon that like the RFU will change the rules and yeah more more people will feel more inclusive and safe in the league as well so to conclude our podcast i wanted to have uh, a quick question to each of you if you could explain which roles are you playing in the team and what differs them from all the other roles because for me i still can't understand rugby rules <laughs> it's so complicated so what does a hooker mean? What does a flanker mean? If you could quickly explain it to everyone listening, that would be a great thing. <laughs> I'll go last. <laughs> <laughs> so who wants to go first? <laughs> Are we going in numerical order then? <laughs> you can just explain most of the um, positions if you would like. Oh, I don't know if I can do that because no matter what I say, the backs will always insist that I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> lesson, okay. lesson number one yeah are always right <laughs> so um no I'll, i think i'll stick with explaining my position so as i previously mentioned i play hooker and that's number two on the shirt you will most likely find me in the middle of the scrum which is when the two teams of uh, their packs will face each other uh lock heads and compete for the ball in the middle. Uh, there's a lot of pushing, a lot of shoving. Um, and officially my job is to try and hook the ball with my foot so that it goes to the back of my pack. And then our scrum half, that's our number nine, can pick it up and resume play. Um, I also take part in the line outs, which is when the ball has left the field and needs to come back in. I throw the ball to my teammates. That's when they... Kind of yeah, so um, pick play, up the person. Yeah, so players lift into the air and I throw it and hopefully they catch it. Big, big hope. That is cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Vicky or Kat, who wants to go next? You can go, Kat. Um, well, I suppose like the maybe if people don't know about rugby, I suppose the formation is like you have the forwards and you have the backs. And the forwards generally is like three lines. This probably isn't the most technical way of saying it. Someone shout me, but kind of three lines. So, you, um, and exactly what Rach was saying um, about where Rach plays as number two, you then have the second row and then you have the back row. And so the front row, which generally is the ones that are going more in for tackles, um, the second row is, is less so, but the back row as well, which are the flankers, are those that often get pushed into the air to catch the ball. And then you go into the backs where you have the the um, eight and the scrum half where they're basically running after the ball and trying to um, pass the ball to whoever needs it once there's a breakdown. Um, and you go to the backs and you have the centres, which... I am one. I think most of our team seems to be a centre or want to be a centre, <laughs> which is a of running, but less boring than being on the wing. The wings often are just cold. I <laughs> 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 don't really get access to the ball, which is why being a centre is a lot more fun. And then the fullback, who tends to stay back. So if the ball gets kicked or like whatever happens, they can grab it and can run for it and also can tackle kind of right at the last minute or fill in on any gaps. That's probably the way that I would see it in my head. Um, I'm not sure, though, if that's what Vicky and Rach would agree or if I've said anything <laughs> wrong. <laughs> not entirely wrong. You've described the right sport, which is a good start. Um, <laughs> my my role is um, coach. So coach does lots of things, lots of small things that add up to the bigger things, I guess. Um in prep for the game, we look at sort of where our strengths and weaknesses lie and try to work out a strategy to make the most on game day, depending on who we've got to play. But also in training, identifying things that we need to work on and skills that we need to sort of brush up on and make sure that people are aware. But also welcoming new people into the game for 
working out why people want to come and play the game. It's never just rock up, here's a ball and off you go. I'll always ask the question, why are you here? What is it that you want to achieve from it? And see what I can do to help you sort of achieve that. Um, and also making sure on game day that everybody is safe. Everybody is in the right places. And it's such a cliche to say, but above all else, everybody leaves that pitch with massive grins on their face, regardless of the touch, regardless of the scoreline. I can verify that 100%. <laughs> And I think what Vicky does as a coach and what we should all be doing as players um, to promote an inclusive environment is just to ask. Um, it's It can be scary joining a new club, a new sport. can be even scarier when it's a contact sport like rugby. Uh, and it's not, in those situations, it's not good to assume people's abilities and sort of boundaries. It's always good to ask what they are um, and see how we can accommodate them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, I can like totally verify that each training uh, on which I've been uh, was really like very um, mixed and uh, very like you feel very amplified and very uh, energized after each training. So yeah, I would totally recommend to anyone that is listening to come and try this sport and uh, you will certainly feel inclusive and safe uh, at uh, Finsbury Park Panthers. So, uh, ask a yeah. question. What, what sport did you do afterwards? So you said that this was the first sport you tried. What did you go into? I, I play football a little bit. I won't say that it's uh, that exciting oh, as rugby. Another footballer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played uh, I played football for a little bit. And uh, I even played some games um, with um, Alexandra Park uh, Football Club. So, but, you know, it was mostly because I was so impressed by the Euros. I was like, wow, they're so cool. They look so cool. I should look cool too. And I should go and play football as well. <laughs> and basically what I can say, I played one game and I did it only to impress my girlfriend. So that's shout out to her. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, they're so cool. And then I never returned to training. <laughs> that was enough for me. <laughs> So yeah, and um, um, is there anything you want to add? Maybe that you want to promote uh, anything that is happening with your club right now? Any new, uh, like any games coming up that people can come and watch? So feel free to uh, say it now. Yeah, we we will actually be down at the men's game on the 11th. Is that right, Kat? Yeah. Yeah, the 11th of March. Um, the men are playing a game at home and a lot of the Panthers are going to try and get down there just to show a bit of love and a bit of support there, really. And we've also got some friendly games coming up, but we haven't confirmed dates yet. So if you follow our social media channels, so our Instagram page, um, we should be able to, well, we normally publicise everything on there. So yeah, send us a message and just get involved. Absolutely. Um, and... Yeah, if if there's anything else you want to do to support us, we're all ears. Or if there's any support that other teams need or any help, if they are also wanting to move away from their club or start something new, let us know. We can give advice. Absolutely. Just a reminder that trans women are women and should be allowed into women's rugby. (laughs) For sure, for sure. That that is a great initiative that you're doing. And yeah, I will um, add all the links in the description. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel, Vicky, Kat, and it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Thank you so much, Anna. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening. Please do subscribe and share. Leave comments on any platform you use for listening to podcasts. Check out the links I will leave in the description below. And please email us with your stories and suggestions for the next topics. Have a great week.